Welcome, everybody. We're growing. Um, got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's uh, a lot of different things, but <clears throat> interestingly, I gave a, a talk yesterday to uh, Loyola, <clears throat> the Consumer Law Group, and I have done this speech every year for five, six, seven years, and I talk about what they want me to talk about is networking and about um, how to get a job, good resume, whatever. And as you all may have suspected, I tend to talk about life advice as well now because, you know, I'm a yogi now. And um, But what I told them was, look, I give in this speech to X number of kids, uh, students every year. All of y'all, smart enthusiastic, know how to work hard, you know what you want, you have the resources to get to law school, a good law school, yet 90% of y'all are going to hear what I say, love it, and never follow up on it. And I say this to you as a challenge, and I've said it every year as a challenge, and you got to write me a note, and here's what you write, here's exactly my address, here's what you say to me, do it, I challenge you, 90% of you will not do it. And I challenge you to fix it. And every year it's been 10% or less that send me a note, reach out. So there were like 27 people. And thus far I've gotten six responses. 10%. Now you could say, that is what's wrong with this world and these millennials. But it's been that way for, since time immemorial. It is going to be that way for the rest of life. And that's a great thing. Because what it does is if you understand the rules, then you get to choose whether you want to do the things that are necessary within that, those rules to succeed. And so it's a wonderful thing that 90% of the people that understand what to do, that have been told it by me and a billion other people, don't do it. Because if you do it, you are almost guaranteed of being successful. But what I wanted to talk about today is why we don't do that. Right? Well, I want to live a life of luxury and ease. I don't want to work hard. I want easy street where they direct deposit my money. And all I do is show up and I smile and they give me money. Right. Isn't that what, well, the thing is if it stuff was easy and easy for us is stuff that we do that's in our comfort zone. Right. If you love to talk and you could make billions of money by talking, And everybody could make all the money they wanted by doing what they're good at, they love, and is not a problem for them, then everybody would be billionaires. There would be nothing wrong with the world, right? But there isn't. And that's because probably if you love talking a lot, the way that you will succeed is probably by shutting your mouth and listening, which is not in your comfort zone. Right? And so if you can work on those things, they take you out of your comfort zone. Most of the time, what you want is outside your comfort zone. 
And if you understand that that's the rule and you stop bitching about it and you accept it and now figure out proactive ways to make it easier to go outside your comfort zone, you will be that much more likely to succeed. And that's why we've talked about things, which I'm going to talk about again, routine, mentors, friends, family, our community here, where we talk about it. And it's interesting because you all have heard me say this not once, not twice, not five times. What, AJ, you've been here, you've heard this for at least the 35th time, right? And let me tell you why, because I was on the phone with, uh, on Zoom with a, a law student who was at my talk yesterday. And here's what she said to me, among other things. And I think it was really instructive for all of us. She said, you know, I heard you give this speech when I was a 1L. I was really excited and I didn't do anything. Then I heard you last year do it as a 2L. I was really excited and I didn't do anything. You know, and it took me this third time to reach out to you. Now, that's an example of why repetition is so important. Because for all of us, we are not robots where we hear something and we execute. Remember when we talked about to get to the top, you have down points. You have times where you don't execute. You have times where you don't feel like getting out of bed. You have times where you say, screw it, I'm not going to do it. And many times what gets you over the hump is repetition, is hearing it again, reading that book again, watching that thing again, hearing Mike Alder say the same goddamn thing over and over and at some point, it sticks. So I'm not going to talk about the same shit all the time, but I am repeating myself for a reason. Exhibit A is that law student that I just got off the phone with about an hour ago. It took her three times to hear what I said, and then she did it. Now, what is she doing now? We've set up another Zoom next week. But I wanted to say the second thing that I learned when I was talking to her that was really good. And we started talking about what is in her thoughts. And she was really ahead of the curve. But you know what she said? And this is going to, I wonder if this resonates with anyone. She goes, you know, I'm working for a clerking for a, a PI firm. It's pre-lit and I really want to do more. I want to litigate. I want to have more opportunities in my life, in my practice. But everybody seems like they're so much better than me. Everybody seems like they got their shit together. Every time I go and I look, they seem more accomplished. They seem smarter than me. Does that sound familiar? Does that happen to all of us every time that we look on Instagram or Facebook? Or God forbid we heard LinkedIn today is doing stories now. God, that's all we need is another freaking social media to make us feel like crap. And so I want to repeat what I told her. And I said, look, I get it. Really, I get it. Everyone in the world has compared themselves to somebody about everything from how you look, to how much money they have, to your career, to your family, to your kids, 
How many parents compete for whose kid is better? Well, my kid scored three goals. Well, my kid scored four goals. I mean, it, it happens in every part of our lives. Bro, our whole life, your kids are competing with other kids. Which baby's cuter? Valentina is the best artist ever. Right? It's a part of our lives. And what I told her is what I'll tell you, which is help me. And I have started to let go of that comparison because I realized that if I judge myself and what I'm going to do and my motivation and my decision to execute or not based on comparisons, then I'm doomed because there is in anything that I compare myself to somebody who's better at it. A hundred percent. There is somebody stronger, faster, smarter, better looking, richer, more connected, you name it. There are people out there that will beat you at it if you compare yourself. So understand that if you measure and act based on your ability to beat someone else, it's going to be a tough life because there's always somebody out there better. Always. And so what I've been able to do that works for me is over time, I got over myself. Do I like to look at every, do I like to hear myself talk? You all know I like to hear myself talk, right? But you take it with a grain of salt, right? I used to, when I was younger, be goddamn proud of the fact that I was the, 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 the trial lawyer, da, da, da. There are so many better fucking trial lawyers out there than me, but I don't give a shit anymore. All I care about is doing the best that I can do for my client. But it took me about 15 years to get over myself on that. Right? Now, a lot of people never do. And they live their lives and there's that pull. But one of the things I would start to recommend, I know I've said this before, is understand that Comparison only goes so far. And really, all of us have at some point to make a decision in the 30,000 or so days that we have to live, a choice. You can live decisively and choose how you want to live. Or you can let life make decisions for you. And a lot of times when we let life make decisions for us, we're not happy. We're not joyful because we don't have X, because we're not as good as somebody else, because their Instagram post was better, because their kids are more pretty or speak different languages or are better athletes or whatever. If you try to flip that switch, I have found for me, Living decisively gives me joy. I'm not happy all the time, but I am joyful, right? So I say that because I just saw that in a 20-something-year-old law student who's grappling with it, and every one of us has grappled with it. Probably every one of us is still grappling with it, right? But that's what life's about.
So living decisively is something that, you know, that I have chosen to say, now I've got about 11,000 days on average, probably in my life left. And I'm choosing to live them the way I want to live. That's why I moved to the Valley. I got out of West LA because I, at some point I said, I don't really like living here. I don't like this. Oh, but Mike, you got an 818 phone number now, man. You're like, I'm like, I don't give a shit anymore. I'm going to choose to live my life. But you know what? When we moved to the Valley 25 years ago for a few years, we actually figured out if we could pay extra money to keep a 310 area code so people didn't know we lived in the Valley. Is that crazy? It sounds crazy now, but then it wasn't crazy to me. But you see, I was worried about what people thought about me and whether I... Now I look back, I'm like, the best times I ever had was living in a valley. It's so great to walk down to Ventura and go to some piece of crap restaurant that's so delicious. Hey, like Gina's right here going, yep, that's right. That's right. Exactly. So I just say all that because I, 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 I want y'all to know that we all do this. And that's what I think the community that we're, we've created is helpful about is because sharing that with each other really, I sometimes people hear it and they go, thank God somebody else feels like I, I do because COVID, I just don't have anybody to talk to. And so I wanted to put that out there and I wanted to open the floor to have anybody who wants to say something. We are going to talk about law. Did Judge Hill join us? Brian Hill, Judge Brian Hill is supposed to get on this call. See on here. Ah, we'll see if he comes on. Superior Court Judge Brian Hill, who was in the, who presided at the mock trial. I was razzing him yesterday. He called me. He's like, hey, it went really well. I'm like, man, if somebody else says, who is that very handsome Superior Court judge? He was on. I'm like, God. He's like, well, I should come on that show then. Let's see if he's here. But um, I want to open up the floor to see if anybody wants to say anything. Nobody has to, but I just wanted to to put that out there. It's our feel-good moment for the hour. Anybody? Mike, I want to say uh, it's Chris here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, Chris. I want to say it takes a lot of guts to say what you just shared with us, and we all go through this, and it's really impressive that you're honest with us. It makes us feel better about things, too. I really like that. I think it's a big deal. Thanks. Yeah, this is Charles, and I want to say, you know, the same thing, and, and, you know, we all go through the same thing, and and interestingly enough, that's how I found this community. You know, one day I um, going through COVID, you know, like this a million questions going on with me myself, and I found those videos on your site, in the you know, and and you were talking about you know, uh, being high and being low, you know, that you've been there, and you know, and having these these things just about feeling good as a professional, and a lot of times in this profession, there's a lot of posturing, and so you're never sure if you're talking to someone if they're, you know, being direct or giving you good information, and so. I think that that's, that's great that you shared that with us. Oh, Mike. Hey, Mike. This, oh, yeah. this, this is Brian Cardoza. I have two points. Number one, there's nothing wrong with the valley. The valley's great. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> I didn't mean to start to 
<laughs> embrace, embrace the valley, number one. Yeah. And number two, I'd say for those who are listening, I don't know all of you, but um, I started listening and I've, I've been practicing a long time. And, um, and my kids are right on the mark. It's, you know, there's something to learn from everybody. Like the homeless guy down the street, the guy at the taco shack, the, your most sophisticated client, whatever. Everybody's got something to teach. So don't stop learning. And um, I've opened myself up to, to hearing Mike talk because I know he's he's got pearls of wisdom. And um, so, you know, it's, this is not just for the, the new person on the block. This is for everybody, you know, and, and hopefully there'll be exchanges maybe where, you know, people can, can benefit from others on the call too. But it's, uh, it's a learning process and, and we never stop. So thanks, Mike, for for sharing, um, you know, for sharing your wisdom. My pleasure, brother. You know, I, having said that, I never thought I could learn anything from senior litigation counsel for SoCal Edison, but I did. Taught me some well, shit, right? <laughs> well, I, and I, I, yeah, and uh, maybe there's some things to learn down the road, you know, but we all, we're all... We're, <laughs> so Brian, I appreciate that, and I'm so glad you're a part of this. And, and you know, it's interesting. Brian and I met through... Um, Stepping out, I met you, Brian. I don't know if you, I know we had a case together, but we kind of didn't really talk that much on that case. But I met Cardoza because I was stepping outside my comfort zone. Gene, I don't know if you knew this, but Britton Courtney, a friend of mine, who's kind of self, she'll self-describe herself as kind of a yogi, like, you know, lovey. And I was like, you know, tired. And I was like, well, I want to do something crazy weird. And she's like, well, why don't you come to me with come and meet all these hippy dippy people that I hang out with. And that's where I met you Cardoza. Well, I'm not a hippy dippy guy, but that was exactly um, kind of the way I got there too. I opened my eyes to a non-lawyer group just exactly. to get outside my comfort area. And Mike and I hit it off like immediately. And um, I realized, you know, you, you need to get out, out of your comfort zone and you know, things happen really when you step outside your, yourself and your professional life and, you know, do the things you like and things just flow. So, and Mike's, I know he is an advocate of all of that. So thanks, yeah. thanks for, for getting this together. Of course. Mike, oh, yeah. Mike, on, on taking it a step further about the uh, idea of getting out of your comfort zone, like let's take a lawyer. There are those who believe do what you're good at your strengths, let's say somebody in a personal injury lawyer, some are good at writing, some are good at litigation, others would be good at motions. Some say play to your strengths, do what you're good at, leave it to the other people to do what they specialize in. So there's that versus get out of your comfort zone and improve your weak, where you're weak, get better at it. So what do you think? One thing, what do you think on and those different philosophies? Even people with uh, who've gone through special education, they say, well, you'll catch up once you you get a chance to play to your strengths, not all of the things that are required, you know, uh, in your basic training. And then I have a second, after you address that, I have a second thought I want to follow up with. Well, I think there's a balance between understanding that everything you want is outside your comfort zone, but also you can waste your life beating your head against the wall, right? And so understanding that knowing when to hold them and know when to fold them, you know, I've seen people who are like, you know, I'm not very good at trying 
low impact soft tissue cases. So I'm going to spend six years litigating and trying some little piece of crap case because I've never done that before. That may be great for you because it teaches you, but you got to weigh it versus whether that works for you in your life. And so I agree with you completely because I do know that, you know, everything that we do want is outside our comfort zone. And, and that's how I met Brian when I was, you know, and I signed up. I remember my first thing, I was like, what am I going to do? I want to try to experience life. And this is how the universe works, right? This is how the universe works. It was right. It was right before I met Gina, actually. And I said, I want to do something I've never done before. Just start opening myself up to the universe. And I signed up for, what was it? It was a comic book expo convention. And I was going to go by myself to a comic book expo because I had always heard about crazy ass. And I was like, I just want to experience that. And it was part of me really opening up myself to possibilities that I would never have thought about in whatever. And I met Gina. There. Oh, not at the comic book. <laughs> but I didn't go because I, something happened. I forget it didn't happen. But that whole universal, you open yourself up to possibilities. That's what I'm talking about. Stuff that you never would have expected sometimes happen at the least expected times because you open yourself up to possibilities. And most of those possibilities you open yourself up to are outside your comfort zone. So I'm sorry, Jeff. Next. No, next, no, good explanation. And I just want I mean, to add, I meet Gina at the comic book convention. She's making sure I say that. Hey, hey, Mike, Mike, was Gina the one in the uh, Wonder Woman outfit? Yeah, I almost went there. <laughs> but we'll see you on Halloween. All right, go next. Mike, I love these discussions. They're wonderful and take us outside. Something maybe helps the law, but even takes us outside of that. Yes. So you, you don't hear many uh, people in the law give these types of seminars that open up our mind. The other thing is you were talking about comparisons and don't get caught up in impressions and trying to compete with anyone. But it sounds like the biblical commandment about envy. What's your thoughts on that? About don't envy thy neighbor or something or other. I've never been envious of anyone in my life. <laughs> Everyone has, right? You ever wonder why they, the Ten Commandments have lasted so long? People talk about them for so long? Because they're universal truths, right? Why the Bible, why, you know, any of these longstanding belief books, Bibles, whatever, stand the test of time is because they say things that most people plug into and they understand are parts of life. And I, I agree with you. I, I remember, I don't, you know, you guys know who John Gomez is in San, San Diego. Wonderful guy, right? Great marketer, great, whatever you've seen a lot of his Instagram stuff, whatever. I remember when I had just become, you know, gotten on the map and I was this young whippersnapper, just one trial of the year and people in the state organization wanted me to run for president of CAOC. And they're like, and you got to meet the Mike Alder in San Diego named John Gomez, because he had just won trial of the year in San Diego. And you guys would, and I met him and I liked him and whatever. 
And we, you know, we would become friends, but four years ago, we go to the Hawaii convention and we're both given speeches and John gives his speech. And I know he will be comfortable with, cause he did it in open court. And, uh, and he said, I wanted to talk about life. He said, when I was in my thirties, I was a killer. I won trial lawyer of the year in San Diego. I was nominated for state trial lawyer of the year. Anything I touched gold. He goes, wasn't a very good husband. I had two kids I didn't pay much attention to, and I was not home a lot. And I would celebrate really hard, and I got hooked on cocaine. It got worse, but I was winning, so it was good. And then he said, and then uh, I was all that in San Diego, and that's why the front page of the paper put that I had been sued for sexual harassment on the front page of the paper. And it was a claim that most of the stuff was not true, but it was tough. And then my wife left me. And then I went into rehab. And then I started losing cases. And then I cut half the people in my firm. And I lost my way. And we're all like, what? You want to talk about ball? Look, all of y'all are pen. Could, you could hear a pen drop right now, right? And he said, I want to talk about the life lessons that I have learned. And it boils down, let's see if I can remember five things. He said, I rebuilt my life. And what I've learned is that if you can find God, if you can find love, if you can get sober, if you can take care of yourself physically, and you take care of your own house and you don't worry about what your neighbors are doing, you'll be pretty good. And he is exactly right. Now, when you say find God, it doesn't have to be a particular God. It doesn't even have to be a God. It can be a belief. It can be spirituality. It can be karma. It can be the universe. It can be something that grounds you, right? But we've already just talked about it. Worry about your own house, not what your neighbors are doing. And you see, even with that, even with John, just the reason you're hearing me talk about it, John talk about it, about in books written in the Bible. And for every year from the Bible to today, somebody's written something that talks about those general principles. It's because we all deal with it. We all have to deal with it. And when we look at down the road, you know, and my chicken is now beautiful and big, but now I'm upset because my neighbor's chicken's a little bit bigger. That's not a great way to live, in my opinion. I could be thrilled about the size of my chicken, or I could be upset because it's not a little bigger than the neighbor's chicken, or whatever it is in our lives. Isn't that interesting? And now you look at John Gomez a little different, right? Now, when you see him kicking ass and taking names, you have a re I have a respect for him that I never had before. Not that I didn't respect him. I just, and it's funny when I meet people, I can tell if they've been through some shit. People who meet me who've been through shit know it too, right?
When you meet someone who's been down and kicked in the gutter and and has made choices that have hurt them hard and they got back up off the ground, you know, I know it. I'm like, come over here, brother. Right. And I'm not suggesting that now everyone should become a cocaine addict and lose their practice and whatever. And that's how you, you love life now. But understand that to a certain gradation, we're all going to have something, whether it's a death in the family, a divorce, an addiction, a malpractice, something's going to happen to us. It's going to hurt pretty badly. And again, how you respond to it makes all the difference in the world. So that's a, I don't know how I got on that topic, but it just Very it well really put. what? Very well put. And really, it was it was wonderful that he shared that. Yeah. All right. Um, last thing I was going to say is that when I finished talking to the to the law student, she said, do you mind if I recap? Because I had talked about language and changing your language. And I said, sure, of course. She goes, I just want to make sure, you know, I just want to know that, you know, I know that I am the problem. And da, 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 da. And I said, now stop. Exhibit A. 99% of the time when you start, you're going to have catch yourself. But are you the problem or are you the solution? Because you're both. You just call it, you just define yourself whatever way you want. And that's just another example of, and I'm not saying that in like some hippy dippy, whatever. She is the problem, but she's also the solution, right? And whatever way she defines herself is going to make it harder or easier for her to move forward. And it's just a language thing. So having said that, let's move on to the law. Okay. Oh, yeah, this was a law program. <laughs> so I want to talk about something that um, just happened to us yesterday in the firm and t- this morning I did it. And I want to tell you why the litigation guidelines, I believe, when you adhere to them, set you up for good things. And we got a case in, I don't know, Miguel, are you on here? Castillo? No, not on this one, but he's on bit on that. So Miguel and I are working on a case, $1.25 million policy. We 998 it. It was in-house counsel. Now, what did I do as a routine, as we do in every 998, which I would recommend? In the 30 days when we sent the 998, I wrote a separate letter and said, here's a 998 for the policy. We will make our plaintiff available at any time for depot, IME. What do you need that you don't have yet? We are an open book. You can have it tomorrow but you need to do it in the 30 days, Do that as a routine. It's good because it tells the other side that you know what you're doing, you're comfortable with your case, you're not here to be a obstructionist. But here's another benefit, and it played out last night. So on day 28, I get an email from outside counsel who I know who's coming in. And he goes, Mike, can I get another week for the 998? I say, sure, Dan, because I'm always willing to give up to another month, usually two weeks, one extension. And I said, let me know 
anything you need. Last night, they sent a letter objecting to the 998 and saying we're unable to do anything because we haven't taken the plaintiff's depot. We haven't done the plaintiff's IME. We haven't gotten all the medical records. Now, let me ask you in a bad faith case, how much more likely is it that they're unreasonable when they say we haven't done all these things that we needed and I offered them 45 days ago and they could have done it at any time in 45 days. But do you see that if you routinely adhere to these litigation principles, that it makes everything more likely. So we have opened that policy 100% because in fact, they told us that what they needed to evaluate the case is what I said I would give to them on day one of the 998, and they chose not to do it. Now, do you see how that's why I say, and so today, this morning, 1.25 million 998, I just followed up with a letter and I said, plaintiff's demand is $3 million. The policy has been opened. When you get Cumas counsel for the defendant, please have counsel contact me. We remain available for any depots, IMEs, anything y'all need done. And I don't go anywhere else with that. Dan calls me. Oh, Mike, man, come on. What are we going to do? Like, dude, what do you need? But so now when we go to mediation, I can legitimately start at $3 million. Even if they're not going to pay over the policy. And let's say we want to settle the case within policy at some point. Do you see that if we stayed at one, two, five, and then said, oh, but your policy's open and never followed up. When we went to mediation, they'd offer a hundred and we'd be between one, two, five, and we could stay high, but that case might settle five, six, seven, eight, 50. Instead, when we legitimately can go in and argue, we gave you a shot, we gave you everything, the policy's open, and we start at three, and we have, okay, we won't take three, we'll take two and a half. In the end, that case is likely to settle for a million, a million one, a million two, just because of the procedural way we handled the case. You guys see that? But it's a lot of work, Mike. You don't understand. I got 250 cases. I got 400 cases. But that's why I decided to give everybody the litigation guidelines because I've seen how these things work when you adhere to them over and over. And it's why I am so militant in our firm whenever a policy demand has not been tendered that we always go over policy. Always, that every time we make a policy demand, we always offer the ability for them to get everything they need within the time that they're making a decision about the policy and make it a habit, do it every single time, every single time. That's how you do it. That's how you add 30, 40% more value to your cases just by procedurally changing the dynamic. Got it? So any comments on that? I just wanted to say that happened this morning, literally at 8.30, we sent that email out.
Any thoughts? Has everybody gotten the litigation guidelines? If you haven't, feel free to email me. Has anybody read them? Take a look. By the way, Greg Chudikoff and I have been friends for what? 25 years at least? And he still can't figure out how to unmute himself. What? <laughs> how you doing, brother? I'm good, Mike. Good. It's good to see you. You know what's interesting? I say that because one of the things that Greg taught me was he's such a nice guy, but he's not a pushover. He's just a nice guy. I mean, he's somebody you like. And it's interesting. I forgot to tell you this. This uh, law student said something. Greg, you understand exactly. She said, you know, one of the things that you said when I first heard you talk was be nice to people. And I'm clerking for this pre-lit firm and I'm nice to all of the adjusters. And my bosses are telling me how I'm getting more money on cases than other people and stuff. And, you know, being nice is not a bad thing. And I said, take it to the extreme and say, people love that you're nice to them. But now if you have an adjuster that does a good job, have you ever asked them for their supervisor's name so that you could write a note to their supervisor and tell them what a good employee they are? She goes, I never thought about it. I said, it, what it shows is that you are thinking about the other person and you want to help them by acknowledging their good. And I've done that for a long time. And I did that when I bought uh, my Jeep. Right? And the guy who was the salesperson was a good guy. And I liked him. And I said, dude, who's your supervisor? He's like, what? I'm like, no, I want to write a note to them. And I wrote a, a personal note to his two supervisors. And I said, man, this guy's a baller. I'm glad he's a good salesman. You should keep him. Do you know that guy calls me? Hey, man, you need a free oil change. You need whatever, right? Just because I was thinking about him and I wanted to acknowledge and recognize the work that he did. You do that with a waiter. And you, before you leave, you go to the manager and say, look, I just wanted to say what a great service I had tonight. You will make those people's day. Now, I'm not saying lie, but how many times have we been pleasantly surprised by service, by people who have helped us, have been nice to us? And if you just took an extra five seconds and acknowledged it to their supervisor, it would change their day, their life, their week, whatever. So think about that. She's like, yeah, it's a good idea. And I said, the reason it's a good idea is because what you're doing is you're acknowledging that person. You're stopping what thinking about you and you're thinking about them. And if we just did that more often in our lives and our practices, we would be amazed at the difference. And I just want to say Greg Chudikoff has been doing that. I remember that, bro. When I was a young whippersnapper, you like really helped me. And I appreciate that very much. You and your partners. I'm not sure who helped who, but very kind words. Thank you. And he's a good-looking man, especially with his beard. When you get that beard, too, you're a good-looking <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, too. Yeah, right. Um, next thing. Are we doing okay on time? Everybody all right? Yeah. So we. Uh, I want to remind everybody, if you go on to Alder Talk YouTube channel, we now have all three parts of the mock trial that we did on the YouTube. We filmed it together. And if you all haven't heard about it already, I'll just tell you. Um, 
we got uh, Riverside gave us the rules on remote trials and everybody was complaining bitterly about all the problems that OEK and Gina overheard us. She's like, well, why y'all just do one and see how it goes. And we're like, that's a great idea. So we got judge Hill, Brian Hill, a real judge and Mike Schoenbuck, a very good real defense lawyer. And Jennifer Burks in our office put together a whole fact pattern with, and we did an entire from voir dire through closing with four witnesses, a defendant, a, a plaintiff. Mary was the defendant. She was uh, very believable as a defendant, very shifty looking and very difficult to deal with. And Chiaffi was the beautiful plaintiff that was right. And then we had a uh, plaintiff's accident reconstructionist that I did direct and Schoenbutt crossed. And then we had a defense doctor that Schoenbutt did direct and I crossed. We did closing. We filmed it together and then we put it online in three parts. But now if you want to watch, you can watch the whole trial if you want. It's very interesting. And I would just tell you that kind of the summary of what we got was it turned out to be a lot more doable than we all thought. It was much more viable and realistic and fair than we thought. And so when plaintiff's lawyers are given the option of waiting for a real trial that's live or a year earlier doing a remote trial, my experience with this mock trial told me that I'm going to choose the remote trial more likely than I would have before I went through that experience especially on run-of-the-mill cases where I don't have, you know, the perfect plaintiff that I want to have people see in person. If it's stuff that you really just need an adjudication on, I would recommend that you consider, if you're given a choice, doing a remote trial. So go on there, take a look. You can fast forward through any of it if you want. Um, I actually, I thought I busted the defense doctor pretty good, right? Go take a look. I crossed Mary. I had Mary twisted up. She didn't know which way was up. She thinks she beat me. I think I beat her. It was a defense verdict. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny. The judge, I all the jurors were friends of mine, right? And the judge, when he was doing his pre-questioning, he didn't really know that. And he goes, does anybody know any of the lawyers in this? And all eight of them were like, I know Mike. <laughs> we're like, okay, just move on to the next question. It was fun. And we tried different backgrounds, standing, sitting. Um, we looked at some exhibits that we pulled up to see how that would go. I mean, it's really interesting. So I would strongly encourage you to look at that. And if you want to share it with people, share it in your firm, happy to do it. It's, it's just, it's there. You don't have to register. You just go on and watch it. Next, Rita, I hope, had sent everybody a link that I saw on the Morning Brew, the financial link. I just want to say, one of the things I've given out in addition to the books that I have done, uh, in addition to the chop wood, carry water and some of the other stuff is uh, the richest man in Babylon, which is uh, written in the thirties. And it is one of the best, if not the best 
uh, financial advice book, wealth building books that I've ever read. It's a very, very basic parable. And it has 10 or so basic financial principles. And when I saw that on the morning brew, um, which is basically a bunch of hyperlinks to good articles on basic financial information, I just wanted to share it. Because I know that everybody is, you know, Warren Buffett. I get it. We're all Warren Buffett's, right? I know we've all picked the stocks great the last two months, right? You could have thrown a dart and picked a good stock in the last two months. But basic financial wealth management, financial planning, business strategies is not very well known. It's stuff that's taken me my whole life to try to learn. And it's something that I think that if we taught kids in school, that everybody would be a lot better off. And it's one of the reasons Gene and I are writing a book about, about basic life skills for young people. And a lot of it is stuff like FICO scores and how to open a checking account and stuff that we all kind of know about. So I know that we sent it out and it says beginners finance. I wish you didn't say that because a lot of people don't read it because they don't want to admit to themselves that they're a beginner. I read it and I was like, shit, I don't know most of this stuff. It was very helpful. And I'd recommend that you guys peruse it. I'd recommend you give it to your kids. There's articles from basics of what S and P means what a stock is to pretty high-end investment advice to what index funds are, you know, stuff like that, what bonds versus stocks are. So I wanted to say that. And then the morning brew is just something that I, I don't have any affiliation with it. Somebody sent it to me a long time ago. It's a free service and it's a pretty decent down the middle, not too Republican or Democrat statement on current events. You can read it. It comes in at like 4.30 in the morning and it takes me about seven minutes. And if you want to read more on any particular thing, you can hyperlink to it. I'd I mean, it's great because you learn stuff like a little thing on the stock market, a little thing on politics, kind of, you know, a little thing on space exploration, a little thing on social media or whatever's kind of in. And it helps me keep up with current events for seven minutes or less every day. And then sometimes you can open an article to read more and I'll send it to my family or my sister or whatever. And it's or one of y'all. And it's, it's just another way of a quick hit, but it's, you know, I used to subscribe my news. I had CNN and Fox. Right. And so I said, I'm going to get both sides. And it was just so distressing. Right. It's like Trump is the devil. Trump is an angel. It's like and the same shit happened. And I'm like, I don't. And I won't get into politics other than it seems like we've become. What do you believe? Well, I believe the opposite of whatever the person I don't like believes. That's what I believe. It's like, eh. it's and so I'll be very happy when we get the election over. I think most people are like that. No matter how you you come down, I think we're all kind of like, <sighs> but it's interesting. Go watch Hamilton, and you'll see Jefferson and Hamilton, and it's like Trump and Biden, just 250 years ago. It's almost identical. 
All right, guys. So anything last minute we want to talk about? We got a few more minutes and I just hey, want Mike. to. Yeah. Uh, Massey here. Um, so I apologize if you've already talked about this on Alder Talk. I just don't remember it being brought up, but there's a lot don't of panic setting yourself. in from. I'm sorry. Don't repeat yourself. We're not here. I'm not repeat. I'm not repeating myself, but um, a lot of panic is setting in on some group chats I have with other lawyers about this whole non-lawyers being able to buy into law practices. Yeah. And I, I think Arizona is already doing it. And I think California is closer than it's ever been. And I mean, I'm not that worried about it, but I mean, people like my older brother and some other people that are good friends of mine, we're in these group chats. I just wanted to get your take on it and, and, and see what your thoughts are. So, Mas, for those of us who don't know what, what you're talking about exactly, kind of tell us what's going on. Arizona has just allowed non-lawyers to participate in fee splits, right? Exactly. And California State Bar has got that on the agenda for vote and primarily saying, well, it will give people that can't afford a lawyer an opportunity to get people who don't charge as much to give some free legal advice. But what it... The fear is, is that it's going to let venture capital people come in and spend $100 billion on advertising, that they can get their money back because they can now share fees with the lawyers that are 1-800-CALL-ME, and it's going to run people out of business, right? Right, exactly. So, and from, I don't know, other than anecdotally hearing things, but most people seem to think it's going to pass the state bar in California and become the rule in California as well. Right. Right. It seems and like it's heading that way. It looks that way. Now, Australia, I know has had this system for 15 years and I know they did a study about it and it was like, didn't really make that much of a difference before and after for Australia. But here's how I look at it. Okay. Does anybody here have pool with the state bar? Okay, so whatever happens is going to happen. And none of us are really going to make a difference between now and when they voted in. Right? So now you have a choice. You can grip. Uh, life is over, just like you did in March when COVID happened. And look where we are right now. Right. Just like what happened when Trump got elected and we're all like life is as we know it is over. We're all moving to Canada. Just like half the population is going to do in the end of November, whoever's elected. Right. But yet we still keep going. And so the way I look at it, Moss, is it may require us to change. But if you think change is not a bad thing, then that's OK. And I think a lot of us think that if we change, that means something bad. But actually, I will tell you just personally for me, COVID has changed me quite a bit in how I operate, how I do, and it's made me a much, much better lawyer in person in a lot of ways. And maybe what it does is it separates the wheat from the chaff and that Maybe there'll be more money to suck away those generic cases and it requires the good lawyers to step up. But when you do, there will be a based, a real difference in quality. And since we're all really good lawyers, that may mean more work for us, not less. But I do think that the mill practices that don't get 
that extra, you know, Salino and Barnes type money, they may suffer pretty well, a lot mm -hmm. because I remember when I first was starting to do some work with mill practice and I, I was friends with the Larry Parker guys, wonderful people. And I remember, I forget who, just generically the numbers, he was saying something like, yeah, we put like 200 grand a month into advertising. And then I remember, and then he said, but you got to do it forever, right? You can't do it for six months and then stop because you go off the radar. And he was talking about, they followed, you know, and we've all seen billboards that you recognize and then they disappear after a while, right? I don't know who that guy was. I think he was either Armenian or Persian and he had like no hair and he had like that cross distinguished American cry and he was on for like seven months. And I was like, that's a beautiful. And then he disappeared and you can't even remember his name anymore, right? It takes years. And they would track, well, you know, so-and-so is just spending $300,000 a month, but they would go away and then they disappear. But Parker was doing it. And then Salino and Barnes came in with money from New York and they started dropping four or 500 a month. And you remember what happened when we were like, no New York firm is going to come in and take over. And then we all were like, Salino and Barnes, injury attorney. And we're like, oh shit. That's because they were spending that kind of money over and over. And then now, now you look, you got Sweet James, you got Jacob. How many billboards are there now? I asked James Bergner, my, my Sweet Jam, like, why are you spending so much money? And why is everybody spending so much money? And he said, if you understand that LA is, and Orange County is a huge market, that getting two, 3% different market share of a big pie is a lot of money. And so it's worth it. But what's gonna happen is, is those people that are advertising are spending 50, 60, 70 a month and they're struggling. And now you got venture capital that are dropping $800,000 a month. It's gonna swamp those little guys. And that's what I see is the difference. And I could be right or wrong, and if, you know, if you're making your, your livelihood on monthly advertising that's spending 50 or 60, you do have to worry about somebody coming in, you know, the Walmarts and the Amazons coming in and, right. and, and drowning you. But, if, but, but maybe that makes it even more important that you listen to my ass and write notes, that you reach out and talk to people. Maybe that's the ticket. Change is not bad. Change is inevitable. How we deal with change will affect us, you know, positively or negatively. But don't get upset because shit changes. Because you'll be upset all the time. Change always happens, right? It's like in trial. The only thing to expect in trial is the unexpected. The only thing to expect in life is change. Always. Thank God that we are smart enough, enthusiastic enough, motivated enough, and are bonded together that we can help each other adapt and survive and be successful. What a blessing that we know how to adapt to change. I don't know if that helped or hurt, but thank you for bringing that up, Moss, because I know that's a big deal. Thank you, Mike. And one, thank you. One more thing. We can't end without acknowledging RBD and everything she did for everyone. 
Have y'all, if y'all have not seen the notorious RGB documentary, you should watch it. It's spectacular. Just amazing. Uh, boy, there's a lot to talk about with that, huh? Been a tough week. Yeah, she's just wow. When you watch a documentary, Gina and I watched it actually. We just we didn't talk for like half an hour, just like sitting there going, "Oh my god!" And even that, even as much acknowledgement as she has gotten, you really don't even realize all of the things that she did and has accomplished. Just amazing! It's just amazing the foresight and the the accomplishment. Wow. But thank you. I agree. Yeah. All right. On that note, go Tigers tomorrow versus Mississippi State. Re, you know, right? Come on. And uh, thank you all very much for tuning in. I, You know, I was about to apologize for being repetitive and being a hurry. But I ain't apologizing. If y'all don't like it, you don't have to watch. If you like it, please, if you want help, ask. I love the fact that you all are listening, and I hope that it's helpful. I'm always here. If anybody needs anything, please feel to reach out, and um, have a good weekend. Happy Friday, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Bye, Mike. Bye. Ciao. Mike, appreciate it. Yep. Later. <laughs>